Good evening, friends. Welcome back to the front porch. My name is Dennis Rogers. I'm joined by Michael Daniels, and we have guests with us here in the virtual studio, our good friends Fox and Jill. How's it going, everybody? So happy to be back. So happy to be back. Thank you so much. I will say it's not completely a virtual studio. You have three people in the same room. We are very honored to be hosting the one and only Michael from the front porch in our live living room studio. It is an absolute honor for both of us to be on the show. <laughs> I've been here before. Jill, it is your first time. Is that correct? It is. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Geek Scholars National Headquarters. It's, it's kind of crazy here. This... Yeah, Geek Scholars is a relic. You've been doing a lot of museums today in D.C. Did any of them cover the Geek Scholars era while you were downtown, Michael, in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital? Uh, no, you're the only relic that, that I've seen today. So. Fair, fair. Hey, oh. Yeah, so I, 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 am, I am here. I think we talked about this a little bit on the show for a minute. I, a couple weeks ago, I had mentioned a possibility of a special episode for the listeners. Um, and then at the end of the show last week, uh, when I uh, finalized it, that we were going to be here, um, that we were going to see have the, the old Geek Scholars crew on, uh, or uh, half of the LRM line, or, or one and only LRM guy here. Um, uh, so we've got them all. We are missing Geek Scholars, Chris, unfortunately, because of scheduling errors. Errors. Uh, errors. He's got a, a he's world premiere that he's, he's going to be at. Very in demand. Yeah. Hard to get on his schedule. <laughs> yeah, he's got a Marvel premiere, I think, going on tonight that he's he's at. Um, so, Fred unfortunately, we couldn't get to him, we, we, but we we have the uh, the other two. So, welcome to the show, guys. It's pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, so I'm staying here. I, I'm in uh, to catch up on me. I'm just uh, doing the, the the world tour of DC and New York this week, and I'm I'm hosted uh, by um, Fox and Jill, which is pretty super cool. Seeing some of the the DC sites, all went to the White House and. The, uh, Congress in the Capitol today, which is pretty cool all around, all around, pretty cool, but had a great dinner. Fox made dinner tonight. Fox cooked a fantastic dinner. I, I saw yes, photos. I, it looked delicious. Uh, did you get the photos? I was wondering. I, we saw that I dinner. I did put up photos. Did, did you put the photos of the napkins? I think I might have, have put, if I think Dennis can post it on the website of, of, of the, uh, the little napkin rings. That Fox, yeah, Fox's so for some context, rings. several several years ago, I decided to make a series of geeky napkin rings. It's very easy to do at home. Uh, I got some wooden, um, what do you call them, rings, basically. And you, I basically just took all the pewter key rings that Marvel has put out over the years. So it's basically all the key keychains, and I super glued them to wooden rings. And they make for a wonderful gift. You can attach them right to your wooden uh, rings, and they make napkin holders yeah. that are absolutely geeky. They're very, very cool. Very, very you. Are they? Are they all Marvel? I thought I saw some other. I put on definitely not tonight. all Marvel. Uh, Michael and I had the distinct honor of going to the Marvels uh, premiere last night in DC. In honor of that, the four rings were Captain Marvel. Shield, and then in honor of Michael's love of Thor, we did one of those. It was the mm -hmm. hammer, and then Captain America was the last one to round it out. So there was a Marvel theme tonight. However, the the line does include other properties, of course, Star Trek, um, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, just to name a few. Yeah, yeah, I um, we won't talk about the Marvels this week because we have one of us here who's not seen it. So we're and actually two of us here who's not seen it. Thank you. So, yeah, so we're going to make sure that we, that we hold off on any of those uh, for next week. But, we, but we'll talk about it next week on there. Um, and we'll have uh, Jill write in her review for it. We'll see what it later. Uh, but that being said, let's, uh, because we've got a lot of people here and a couple things to, to run through, 
Um, let's start with some MCU stuff, uh, since we are kind of there on that topic. And Fox is wearing a Doctor Strange uh, sweater. I so am. Cool. Uh, man, we got two, Dennis. You want to go? We want to do I, two things I want to talk about are, are the state of MCU between the four of us right now, how we feel, what we think of a little bit of the future. Uh, and then the other one is Loki. Because Loki's at episode five, one more episode left. Fox just told me last night, I thought it was eight, but he says it's six. It so is six. I'm yes. sad. In fact, um, as of our recording time, it will debut in just about 24 hours, 9 p.m. East Coast time. Oh, wow. Okay. So which one are you going to do first, uh, Dennis, Loki or uh, MCU as a whole? Um, either one is fine with me, honestly. Um, I did. I am caught up on Loki, so we can uh, we can talk about that first. All right, let's do that. Uh, okay, so I had watched um, the first episode. Actually, watched the first two episodes before, um, and then I, I I was taking this trip out here, had the plane trip, and I downloaded them so I could watch them on a plane. But I started about half hour into the third episode, and I didn't know what the heck was going on. And I realized I didn't know what was going on the first two episodes that I watched. Yeah, that's so, kind of its thing. That's yeah, right. So I surprising. I just decided to rewatch them. And that was better. Like that actually, because I kind of knew where they were at, what they were doing by that point, it refreshed things. Uh, the recaps, I still watch the recaps at the beginning because I was like last last season, I had forgotten a lot of that stuff. But uh, I would say in a nutshell, so far, this uh, season has been intentionally confusing because of time and space. That's kind of their thing. Very timey-wimey, very timey-wimey. That's a weird one. I, I, Doctor Who thing. I don't get those Doctor Who things. All right, Joe. What do you? What are you? How are you feeling about Loki? On uh, do a little bit of how you feel. I know we're not all the way through the season. We haven't got to the end yet. But uh, season one, if you like that, how do you like season two comparison? And then are you getting season all the way through episode five? How, are you getting Loki right? Okay, I would say uh, generally I enjoy both seasons a lot. I thought especially the the first half of the first season had a really interesting story. Um, I would say the second half of the first season felt a little shoehorned to me. Like someone decided that they needed to introduce a big villain in order to accomplish things outside of the Loki series. And yeah, that the yeah, ending yeah. didn't make so much sense. Uh, the ending just didn't make that much sense, I felt like, based on the rest of the show. So I found the last episode or two a little bit of a disappointment because of that. I mean, it's it was cool that they opened up the multiverse and they did some interesting things, but it didn't feel like a very satisfying ending to the characters that we got to know in the show. Um, the beginning of season two to me felt much more like the beginning of season one, although albeit much more confusing. <laughs> and yeah. I, I mean, I didn't know that was intentional. Um, and I, I found it to be not so confusing that it was uh, off-putting, but just confusing enough that it felt like a good mystery. And the the, sure, the sure. information that I've needed has fallen into place when I wanted it to, and I very much enjoyed it. I love the characters in this show as much as anything. Well, it's like six main characters. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> it, and it's, it's interesting to sort of see Tom Hiddleston's version of Loki mature a little bit, you know? Right. It, and maybe maybe he feels a little bit less Loki because he's a little bit less mischievous. It's a little right. bit of a double-edged sword, but it's also, 
a character that's evolved over time, and I think it's been really fun to, to see that. So I very much enjoyed this. I season. agree. I, 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 I'm, it's well documented that I think that this Loki is different than what they, like the earlier Lokis in, in Thor, some of the Thor movies or the comic book Loki. So the Loki show is a different Loki, but I like this one. I, I, it's almost like a whole different character, but I like this character too. I'm actually emotionally more invested with this one. And I think Loki, early MCU Loki, when he had the horns and did the whole thing, was great too. I mean, he's one of his, he's been on book uh, as the most developed villain of all the things. You know, I actually so, wonder, I think I was trying to think about this the other day, like the amount of hours the average MCU watcher has seen, does he almost occupy the most amount of space at this point? I was thinking about oh, how, that's how many question. movies he's been in and how much, how many hours we've seen him in his own show. Um, Right. He is, you know, one of the only characters, I guess, who's gotten a second season of an MCU show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, sure. he was obviously in all the, all the Thor movies except Love and Thunder. He was in um, Infinity War. He was in, yeah. um, obviously, the first Avengers movie. I would, I wonder if you tallied up the amount of runtime every MCU character has had. Yeah. He yeah. has to be near the top, right? I mean, I understand probably Iron Man or maybe Captain America. I mean, you're higher, you're but... forgetting one very important person, Fox. Please. His oh, na- well, it's his Samuel name is Jackson. his name is Phil. His name is Phil. Phil. You oh. know, that's probably actually true if you add up all the hours of seven years of Agents of Shield. Agents of Shield. Clark Gray oh, has fair, deservedly fair. gotten the most runtime. Um, actually, though, I mean, you you've piped in here, Des. I'm very curious to hear your take on this because. I think out of the other three people or the other three people on the show, you're probably the least versed in the actual physical hard copy Marvel comics that uh, myself, Jill, and Michael have you know spent several years you know delving into. What do you think of the show? What is your take? Um, I am really enjoying it. The big the big question we've sort of already touched on a little bit the the sort of transition. Um, for the Loki character, um, I think I've probably mentioned this on the show before, but I have um, um, older nieces who are just the oldest one is just out of high school. Um, and about once a year when I see them, sometimes Marvel will come up because they're big Marvel fans as much as my sister will let them watch. They've not seen all of it, but um, <laughs> um, and we talked about this show because um she didn't like how the loki in this series was very similar as a as a person as a character to the loki we see at the beginning of um the infinity saga whichever of those i yeah Mm -hmm. i think it's infinity war um okay yeah and we and if i may real quick remember this this loki that we're seeing branched off of his um, defeat at the end of the end, Battle of New York. So this right. Loki that we're oh, he's seeing, a remember that? Yeah, it's a variant it's, that, like, he hasn't gone through all the growth ex- with Thor. Exactly, Sorry. exactly. Yeah. It's it's 2012 Loki, oh, like, straight right, straight off of being a villain. And so the 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 question mark in that conversation we had was the character has gone through, you know, a decade of development to the audiences and then given his, given his own show. And so they couldn't really make him the same character that he was in 2012. And the, the sort of writer's trick 
they did to go around that was you know have him in the in the theater of time whatever that that theater is called in the in the tva oh in the first season in season one show him that and then put him in the time loop where he has to confront sif over and over um and sort of uh sort of fast forward character development for this loki and it's something that i keep i find myself wondering watching season two like how do people like i don't i don't mind it of course tom hiddleston is an excellent actor um and um and all that but um he is very close to being a hero in this series um and i just wonder i think he is a hero at this point right yeah he had he has some doubts but i wondered if um if you all had thoughts on that if I may, real quick, um, it's, a, it's a fascinating point you bring up that I had not considered as of yet. But if we think about where Loki is at the beginning under the Infinity War, he's a hero in that moment, too, right? He's basically willing to sacrifice what? himself. Well, he goes up against Thanos, and he's trying to be a trickster. He tries to kill Thanos at the very beginning. Of <laughs> My point is that I wonder if the show is trying to make some philosophical statement that we may take different branches, but we end up at that same point. So we really are talking about two Lokis at this point. We were talking about one no. Loki that stays on the MCU movie timeline and goes through the movies of Thor Dark World, Thor Ragnarok, and ends up on the boat, you know, uh, escaping Asgard. And he actually saves Asgard in Thor Ragnarok and then is ultimately killed by Thor. This Loki that we're seeing in the show, as I mentioned before, just deviated at the end of 2012 after the Battle of New York because he picked up the Tesseract after it was lost when Tony Stark had his heart, you know, ruined by Ant-Man. But he ends up at the same point. And so it's kind of a fascinating thing is that Loki goes on two different journeys from villain to hero. But I think we're kind of seeing him come to that place we see him in Infinity War just through a very different channel via the Loki television show. I'm doing an item actually on you there. Uh, your, your quote was, and we'll roll this back, that he was ultimately killed by Thor. He was ultimately killed by Thanos. I thought, I, I'm sorry. I thought I, what I was trying to say is he attacks Thanos. And tries oh, okay. to kill Thanos with his knife. Yeah, that, that's and, and I know we're super tangenting on this topic, but one of my favorite Loki uh, character pl- uh, development things is his. There's a scene. It's an Endgame at the very beginning. It's his final scene, and he produces the the stone for Thanos, and you see him look at Thor, and he's like gearing up emotionally to attack Thanos and we all know it and he has like the knife that he's getting ready to make yeah, and he calls himself the son of Odin son of Odin right and then he he does he know he's like he's sacrificed he knows he's going to die he's going to do the thing and he goes and he tries to attack him and it's such like I'm going to get a little goosebumps thinking about that scene because Hiddleston just <laughs> did such a great thing and he goes to attack and he dies and he's got the eyeballs popping and it's thing it's such a huge moment as a character thing and this Loki has none of that because we cheated him from it because like it's gone. Well, he, it, I mean, it's not just, really. It's we're we're going to give it to him, but I don't know that she, like it's still possible we get to that point. But I think it's just kind of a fascinating idea that the MCU is throwing up is like Loki eventually comes around. We're just seeing two very different versions of it. We saw one version through the movies and now one version through the show. I'll tell you part of why it it doesn't bother me that much to be honest, and okay, some sure. of that may be. Uh, I think it's the better of two options. If you had That's started better. this show with Loki, uh, with his 
2012 persona, I think would have been really bothersome for everyone who had seen him go through all these arcs. And now we have to go back to someone who's kind of more immature and obnoxious. So I think that's a piece of it. But I think the other thing that makes this work is seeing all the variants of Loki and understanding that he, um, based on lots of different factors, ends up in so many different places. And, you know, and his personality is so different or sometimes so similar based on that. And I think that seeing all the different Loki variants, to me, smooths out this wrinkle a little bit um, because it just makes it feel a little more plausible that he could get to this place. You know, it's interesting, the variants. Let's talk about that for a second. I, uh, season one, we saw a lot of wildly different Loki variants because the idea of the multiverse is that it's everything, right? It's good, every possible thing that could happen. Frog, and we got Frog Thor. Frog Thor, yeah. So we see all this, but but season two, we're seeing the branching of timelines and free things, uh, but they, uh, all of these different possibilities, they're not really showing us any different different things than those. And that kind of brings back to your idea of, oh, we all end up at the same place. If that's where they're going, they're not, they didn't do that in season one because all of the Lokis are so radically different. But now in season two, even when they do the spoiler alert, for those who haven't watched this, uh, uh, the TVA dies or gets destroyed in a big scene, uh, they go to all of the different characters to recruit them back again. And they're kind of like normal, it's a normal timeline thing. They're not vastly different. Uh, are they doing that? That everybody ends up ultimately the same thing and all the timelines come back together anyway? Well, or it's my favorite best- part of the show, if I may, Michael. I mean, I think what I really like is the philosophical arguments, which I think are maybe overshadowing character motivations, possibly to a negative degree. But I will say that my favorite part of the Loki show is the questions it asks about those variants. And, you know, do, do people inevitably end up where they're supposed to be? What kind of rights do those individuals have of these branched timelines, um, whether maybe they were plucked from them? In the case of Mobius, uh, the character played by Owen Wilson, who, you know, used to be a jet ski salesman, um, but <laughs> has the fundamental belief as his core character that he's happier and a better person at the TVA. And Sylvie. Right who is a Loki variant, questions that and says, well, what right does anyone have to pluck him from his original life? Even as for the betterment of other people, do we have the right to take that person out of their timeline, even if it's for a greater good? What badness are we doing by hindering those um, from the life they're supposed, quote unquote, supposed to have? Um, Those philosophical discussions are what I think makes Loki a very, very good show. Okay, Jill. Let's, he brought Sylvie. Um, ha, now it's easy to say, ask you, do you like Sylvie? Do you not like Sylvie? There's an answer there. So let's let's talk a little bit about Sylvie. She, I think she had a, a, a she was a huge part of season one, season two. She's a major character. She's one of the six major ones, sure. And she's a kind of important thing, but she's less understated. She's more understated on this season, the second one. But how do you feel about? To me, she feels more one dimensional this season, where she's just. I'm going to do this one thing. I'm going to work at McDonald's and I'm going to, that's me and I don't care. Um, do you like her more this season or, or do you like her as a whole in general and why or why not? What's some positives of Sylvie, some negative downsides of Sylvie, especially taking this season into consideration? I, I think I understand a little bit less this season what is motivating her character. Uh, and 
I, I agree with that. Um, last season, maybe it was a little more clear like what the mission was and the two of them were working as a team in a way that I thought was really interesting. And that was yes. definitely one of the, one of my favorite parts of the first season. Super yes. I, I think this season, it's a little less clear why she's so bound to this one timeline. And right. I don't, I don't think I quite understand that for her. I, I don't understand how she got sort of from point A in season one to point B in season two. I, I don't think that's well explained. And I do think that makes her a less interesting character this season. When she's doing things, um, I think she's interesting. But so much of season two seems like it's happening to her versus her actually driving any narrative. I think that's a little bit problematic for her character. All right, I'm going to keep on keep you on this thing. What what a, tell me about Sylvie and Loki? She's a Loki. They say a Loki, or she's Loki, and multiple times they will say, "Oh, you're me," or he's in love with with himself type thing. Do you really see her? I don't. I personally don't see her as Loki. I don't. I think they they feel like two separate characters who have two different motivations who aren't the same person in any way. Do you feel that same way? Why? Yes, no. Are they the same person? Are they different? Gosh, that's a hard question. Um, I would say, I would say in the first season, they felt a little bit more like riffs off the same character, just in their uh, sort of me first mischievous take on the world. Right, she's um, very like angry often. Yeah. But also, I mean, she's as much like him as a lot of the other Loki variants. I mean, think of all of the, you know, oh, that's right, yeah. think of all the crazy variants we see of Loki in season one. You know, she's as much like him as any of the other variants are. True. So right, right. that to me feels perfectly reasonable. I, I actually think her personality is more similar to Loki than you see with some of the other variants. Maybe that's just because she's more fleshed out, but yeah. Um, I think that may be a piece of it. Um, sure. I think this season they seem more different, but I think, again, that's just because I don't know that I totally understand her motivation here. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think that she's, personal opinion, she's weaker in season two. Not bad. I still like the character. Not everybody. You've got a cast that likes the six main characters. You, you can't spin them all. All right, Fox. Uh, simple question of all the characters here. Uh, I said six. So I'm going to Prove those. If I can name uh, Mobius, Ouroboros, Ob, which we've not talked about today yet, uh, uh, Ouroboros and um, Loki, and Dennis. Who else am I missing? Um, uh, Sylvie. The, the others There's don't. Like the Ren others don't Slayer, have names. Like it's, yeah. It's hard no, no, no. I mean the the six main good guys that are like in the that are like in the TVA. Casey is one of them. Uh, B fifteen is her, what's her a, name. And, and Casey and, is the person who is escaping Alcatraz. That's right. Casey, yeah. that's that's Casey, yeah, yeah. and then the um, the lady who was a doctor before. Um, before that's B fifteen, I think. B fifteen, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Or so, and, and technically, the variant X2? of Kang is one. Now, in this season, he's one of the good guys, kind of. He who remains. Uh, Jill, Jill gave a look. I don't know if I agree with that statement. He's one I of the actually, good guys. Is that your argument for this season? I think he generally is. I think I think he he's a, 
he, he wants, wants the, the TV in the world that he don't he so far he doesn't seem to have an ultra ulterior motive. He does many times say that's not me when he talks about Kang. Miss Minutes says thing, which we've not talked about Miss Minutes yet either. Well, okay, so let's uh, Dennis as someone who I know loves everything everywhere all at once as much as everyone else in this room. Oh, you're going to Obi. Yeah, I am absolutely. What are your thoughts on Obi and Kei Kwan's, you know, performance thus far? What are your thoughts on it? And do you have any theories about where the character will go? Um, I mean, honestly, this, this season two of this series has been so chaotic and so filled with... Yes techno babble um that i have not done very much speculating um during episode five there was a moment where i thought is this going to be one of those weird um become your own grandpa things where loki accidentally creates the tva and it's and he's the one who abducted all these people from there from their uh, that, that would have been cool. That's actually a pretty good theory. I like that. Um, I, I, I that that would have been cool. It it does say at every splash or every title card that um that they're in branched timelines, so that might um um uh, run contrary to that theory. Um, I mean, I love his performance as as nonsensical as the uh, the first episode of season two was. Um, seeing him there made me smile. And it was like, okay, this is, this is cool. I don't, I don't, I have no idea what's going on, but I don't really care. It's sure. He's jumping through time. We all, I, I can. Oh, I the can, time slipping thing. Yeah. yeah. The time slipping. I'm like, I can accept that. Sure. This is, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting anything in the logic of what's <laughs> happening in the series to make any kind of sense to me. Um, I mean, Loki is, I mean, maybe you all have a different uh, uh, conception of this, but Loki in the MCU to me is a character whose power set is not clearly defined. Um, he just does magic stuff with magic. Right? Just magic. Yeah. Um, when the script needs him to. So um, I'm not too bothered about that. Um, I, I got words. I, I got. I got to say words here. <laughs> I did have a moment is, toward is... the um, toward the end of episode five, and if you're still here and haven't watched this uh, series this season, uh, go jump, away, go away, jump don't ahead because we're talking spoilers. But when they had that moment of like, oh, we're not going to do this, and send, send all these people back, I'm like, most of them he just upended and was like and i guess that he has a time machine he can send them back whenever but i had that moment watching him like they made it pretty clear that um whoever ob actually is uh upended his life the most based on loki's word and i was like i don't oh, yeah. i don't think he can really just go back but of course they established already that they can just go back to right before um he met them and oh yeah Maybe, but right. so my, of course that's my words stuff. that that I that I have to get upset. Not not, not definitely upset. Some other words. Uh, I have multiple times and continue to say again that this is not the same Loki that that has ever established in comic books or anything. It's a totally different character. This show has created. They call him Loki. He is not the same person. And I say that because they have denied him of one of his core things, magic. That is a core part of all Lokis. 
uh, in this series. TVA, Michael. It's very easily explained see? with see? one line of dialogue. It's that's, so that's, easy. That's Barely my point. The, the writers were like, we're, we're creating a new character, and we're going to use the name Loki, the same actor, but he, he doesn't use that. We're taking or denying him of one of his core power sets, magic. He never gets to use it. Um, and uh, then we're going to give him a new power set. Now he is a time traveler, which is super cool. This sounds like a complaint. I'm not, because I like this character. It's just they're just using a, a name and a, a character well, that we're, we like. We're but... lucky with Tom Hiddleston because I think Tom yes, Hiddleston is he's someone great. we've talked about this even on, on your show is that there are certain people who elevate the material beyond what is written on the page because they understand the greater onus on them to deliver performance. And I think MCU yes, yes. in general has benefited very greatly by hiring people like, say, Chadwick Boseman who understands the gravity yeah, of the yeah. role they're trying to make, even if it's beyond the comic book lore to date. And Tom Hiddleston appears to be someone, which is why I think they're giving him two seasons, who they tell him, this is a general idea we have. Can you take some elements of Loki, some very core tenets of Loki from the comic book, okay, huh? not all of them, but give it your best as we make up yeah. this new idea of time travel and time. Yes, I, right. I will say I they Loki does use magic some in this show. Some I, I know it's not. I know it is hindered by whatever hand waving powers of the TVA. Right. But when he does use it, then I actually really appreciate it. Like one of my favorite scenes was when he goes to to the movie star. I think his name is Brad. Yeah, um, okay, yeah, and yeah, like an you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a former TVA yes, and that. he, the two of them are playing this game of cat and mouse, and or he X5. does, he does use his powers, his actual powers, and I found that to be just so much fun, and I do miss that, yes. I do miss that in other places, but also I feel like I appreciate it a little more because it's not gratuitous through the show. Yes, you know who does though use it all the time is Sylvie. Like Sylvie is now is the magic user here, but so I know there's I was tangenting that one, and it's a minor gripe. It's it, the weird thing; it's not a gripe because I actually really like this different character. They're just different people. Right? So moving on past that one because we got we got to move on with things. But uh, I I want to hit some highlights that I liked. The Obi thing, yeah, I just like that guy. I love I love the actor. I love the way he does things. He's it, got an it, energy. You know, Dennis mentioned techno babble. He's very good at delivering techno babble in a way that yep. makes you believe that he believes he knows what he's talking about. That's really important. And, you know, I, I, I'm going to pull in a weird reference. Star Trek The Next Generation was always good at that. They <laughs> oh, always, yeah. they always yeah. delivered techno babble. Like, look at LeVar Burton, who had to make up stuff as the chief engineer. I, yeah, yeah. You know, I, and, I literally and a, pictured LeVar Burton when you said delivering techno babble as if he right. believed it. My, yeah. my, course, my course. mind was already on next generation because when you were talking about actors elevating the material they're given i immediately thought of patrick stewart in that series yeah yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely de delivering some of the most ridiculous dialogue ever written with the gravitas of shakespeare um right and yeah. I, I so so obi's great and, and you know i can't really say his name right say it was kihei kwan Kihei Kwan. Great, yes. Love it, love it. Okay. So great. He, he's, he's done great. Uh, so far, two things, scenes that I, that I just I want to say because it's on the record is uh, his uh, talk with Loki in episode one or two when he's talking to him in the past and the future with, with Mobius. And he's like, oh, 
the way he delivers that, like, oh, there's this is impossible. Oh, but I did talk to him as he was talking. That scene was well shot, well directed, and well acted. That can't uh, happen. <laughs> yes, but it does because it, that's so good, and he delivered that. Uh, two is the uh, again writing and uh, acting here was when uh, Victor Timely and uh, Ouroboros meet, and they have this. Uh, he considers he calls it the snake eating itself thing. Like mm -hmm. you created the book, but I created this, this. So you created me and inspired that. It still blows your mind. Even that whole thing is like, I and they love ask it. Their autographs. Yeah, right, right. And then he's like, can we do that later? But so anyway, so I wanted to put those two things on record. It's like uh, we can talk about a lot of things in the show. Those two are great. Uh, on those two things. Uh, so wrapping this whole conversation up, and and we'll go to Fox on this one. Uh, Victor is uh, timely. Is, is Victor timely. Yes. Victor timely. By Jonathan Majors, who. We presume is a Kang variant. Yes. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about the MCU and him, actor, and all that stuff later. Uh, but in this one, you guys seem to disagree with me here on that he's he's a villain or, or a hero. Uh, but how do you feel about that character? I can jump in first. Um, I I actually thought Jonathan Majors put in his best performance as Victor Tom. If I'm being honest, I've seen now. Him be he who remains. Sure. He played very clearly Kang, you know, by name in Quantum Mania. Um, this I thought he's been fine on all three of those so far. Yes, I think he's been fine. I was the most intrigued and curious about Victor Timely because I will say, unlike the other variations, I had a much clearer understanding of what Victor Timely wanted. Victor Timely was an inventor who was very curious about his own limitations given his knowledge of the future given to him by, by Miss Minutes. And so it was easier for me to follow Victor Timely's trajectory about his – because it was fueled by curiosity. And I, I understood that. I understood his personal desire to understand what he was capable of and his limitations – and what those could expand to given access to future technology. So I'll, I'll leave it there, Jill. Yeah, what do you think, Jill, with that one? I think I will say the timely variant on presumably on Kang's character does flesh that character out in a way that I think is really interesting. It, they seem like clearly different people, but... He says it. He says, I'm not that guy. Yeah. But even just to understand, like, how could you have developed into He Who Remains? How does that even get started? It was a really right. interesting. I sort of felt like we saw his origin story. Um, he does have what I thought at his core, like a very self-serving uh, nature Um He's, oh, being a con man. Yeah, I mean, I think he has no qualms about cheating everyone else out of whatever. I think yes. I think he. I think he really that's only. I th I thought they very clearly showed at the beginning, like he was only in it for himself, and so where in where later on in the show he does some things that feel a little bit selfless. I actually think they're very self-serving. They just also happen to serve other people too. That's fair. And so that's that well to me well is why I would still classify him as a villain, even though he sort of tries to be the hero at the end. I think that's really just, 
I think it's self-serving. Oh, with the, the spaghettification. Yeah. The, yeah. Oh my gosh. Which Fox and I have said we really love that effect that they do on that one. Uh, all right, Dennis, I'm not going to let you have a, a say on that one, but I want you to say what you think of Miss Minutes. She has drastically changed from season one to season two, voiced by one of my favorite voice actors, Tara Strong, Tara who Strong. does so many. Uh, what do you think of Miss Minutes? She's like a whole thing now, Dennis. Um, as an in, she was an interesting side character. Was is um, sort of you know just just started out as you know uh, um, almost almost like a prop, almost just like context for this sixties uh, seventies vibe of the uh, of the TVA. Um, oh, the TVA, and then you know sort of is intertwined with. Um, he who remains story and becomes a villain but one of those like woman scorned kind of villains so you'd like well that's it's not not straight villain although that's definitely you know there have definitely been similar villains in the mcu like whoever the guy was who was who built a a crappier iron man suit in the first oh one. yeah, who, uh, who is that? Uh, you mean like Justin Hammer slash Whiplash? No, whip, no, Whiplash. The thing is, Crimson Dynamo. Yeah, uh, Anton Anton Vankoff is the Vankoff. Yeah, yeah. Vankoff is the dad. I forget what. Yeah, Damn, just that yeah. sort Vankoff, of yeah. like a person who becomes a villain because they're you know, or an enemy of a character because of some slight or jilting or. Um, something like uh, that she was kind of jilted here right like yeah Miss yeah Pence, that's like... that's that's what i mean so i i don't know i don't know that i would necessarily give her the capital v villain title um she do you definitely... think that's really what makes her evil though i mean she seems no, I think she's full just on evil, evil before yes. that I, I get that she yeah. gets kind of screwed over in the end but I actually don't think that has anything to do with her nefariousness. That's I agree. that's true. That's true. I hadn't really, I hadn't really considered that. Um, I guess yeah. you just thought of her as a good person at the, the first season, but now she's got like depth and. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to see now that they are sort of, um, you know, they, they spent the whole, uh, whole episode five, doing this sort of setup for how are we going to undo what happened in episode four? Um, and so that character could come back. Oh, okay. Um, sure. And, and so I don't know what, what they're going to do with her. Yeah. Regardless of her motivations, she does seem, uh, completely self-serving. So that's pretty villainous. I So, so wrapping this whole topic up here, um, there are there's more to talk about which we just don't have time to talk about them I, I will say that there's something we haven't done i think most praises we've done praises on the show for all of us here uh there are there are downsides to the show that aren't so great which i don't think we need to delve into but but uh for those thinking like oh i don't like x y or z i i think there's things we can say that aren't perfect about this show um uh, one thing i, I did want to again have on the record is this the aesthetics of the tva and the weird thing it's very set it feels like it's on a set but it's so stylistic i, I, will, say, so I will say the production design should it should win an emmy for production design because it's just so down interesting. to the last the color of the pie 
is this the key lime pie. pie. What a detail. It, it get, yes, exactly. I think I think there's something to be be praised about the way the aesthetic is absolutely fantastic in terms of its consistency and depth. Yeah. So, so there's so much on the show. Uh, so to speak for all of us, it's generally a thumbs up. Uh, you should watch the season one, season two. Both of them are good. Uh, I'm not saying it's the best that Marvel's ever put out, but they're worth of a watch. Um, worth your time. I put them uh, in the WandaVision category, I would say, of all the, the praise, shows and things. Uh, so so that, that's pretty good. All right. So uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this next topic. We could go on for an hour just on this, but I, I want to go around and we can start with Dennis. It feels like the person who would have the least opinion on this, but I think he's going to say some things. All right, so um, Marvel going forward has had some problems. Are we in phase four, five, 12, something like that now? He's five, holding up a four right now. He, he just said five. I think we're on a five too, but I could be wrong. Um, all right, so the news had come out how Marvel's done a powwow recently. And there's a couple articles, leaks. We don't always put a talk about this kind of a thing, but we are because uh, Dennis, you and I have said for a while that Marvel's been floundering. The two of us haven't really been happy with uh, some of the show, many of the shows um, that have been out, or I say shows, but films and and shows and things. Uh, I can't even think of very many that that you and I have have liked a whole lot. Um, so it makes sense that they would have uh, an executive meeting of. Uh, retreat where they all talk about what are we going to do how are we going to uh should we change things they and do this every year this is yeah. not new they had this not but it just happened to happen recently yeah so so they did this they've done this and uh leaks have come out that uh they're considering considering a pivot uh to instead of investing the next two to three years in kang and the kang story maybe four years in the kang story that they shelve it they end it quickly move on jonathan majors has some some personal issues outside of the films that could affect things. Uh, so that's another op thing that they have to consider. Um, and the fact that other people besides you and I, Dennis, haven't really liked this. Many people haven't liked this phase. <laughs> um, so uh, the options that they're considering is to move forward with other IPs, namely Fantastic Four and X-Men, quicker than they ever would have before, because they were considering that for post-Kang things. Uh, and they just and then wrapping up the Kang stuff, um, and then uh, or continuing on with it. Uh, data was a lot more on that that retreat that they come out, but let's just talk about that for this limited amount of time. What do you think, Dennis? Should they should they should they just wrap on Kang, even though we've got let's say let's make a, a Victor Timely our last Kang character, and then move on from that. Do you want to hear more about it, Dennis? I think considering, or... if I may, just one, I'm not, I'm not, Dennis, the question is to you, but I think so. piece of context is that Marvel has announced a movie called Avengers the Kang Dynasty. Yeah, yeah, but because they announce it doesn't mean no, they no, can't no, change. No, 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 I'm not saying, I, I'm not, I'm only stating the fact that they, they've done it. They have announced movies in the past that have not come out. That's all I just want to say for context mm. for the listeners. Go ahead, Dennis. I, wait, I also say that they announced Blade, and I don't know if that one will actually come out, so. Did they announce played? Okay, I have two. Well, right now I have two points. Questions, points, questions. One or the other. Um, first, I want to know if they really call it a powwow. That seems problematic. <laughs> seems probably <laughs> sure. All right. Um, second, uh, I, I don't know. 
for me, at least, and I don't think I'm alone in this, this opinion, I don't know if that is the right question, the, the Kang big bad thing, okay. because I, I've said this, I don't know if I've said it on the air, I probably have, um, my uh, biggest concern, complaint with MCU Phase 4 from uh, basically everything except for most of WandaVision, Shang-Chi, and Spider-Man No Way Home, which doesn't really count. Um, <laughs> not that it doesn't count, not, but it's, not that's that, fair. I, I loved that movie. It was fantastic. It was, um, you know, like 60% fan service. And I, I was okay with that. The, the, you know, the, the story itself was fine. Um, but I, I, it doesn't seem fair to me to compare it with the others because it had this, um, um, you know, front-loaded uh, audience gratification let's yeah, say yeah, yeah. um my my biggest problem and problem doesn't seem like the right word for that but is that in the wake of the infinity saga both marvel and the fans um went into phase four with this expectation of big right big story big events i mean absolutely um infinity war and endgame were massive successful movies I remember on this podcast after we watched Infinity War coming on here and saying, um, you know, I believed most of the MC, MCU movies were good at best and rarely dropped below fine or pretty good by contrast to uh, some of the movies DC puts out. But that Infinity War was great. Like my my assertion before was that you know, they go from pretty good to good, but are rarely on either extreme of bad or great, um, where Infinity War was great. So it's perfectly understandable that they did that, but either, you know, both both the fans and the, the showrunners, the directors, the people making the content um, had a lot of just um, conflicted priorities. Um, and, and this was, this wasn't new in phase four. So, you know, I've mentioned, um, Oh, you mean for phase four stuff? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've mentioned Ant-Man and the Wasp many times because it came out in between Infinity War and Endgame and just has this, um, you know, by necessity, most of that film had to be set up for Endgame, but it also has its own story, which is just very sidelined. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very lost to time, yeah. Yeah, and and a lot of that has th that has been true of a lot of the content in Phase Four. Um, you know, there there was a whole story in Wandavision about her dealing with her grief, but it was really just kind of set up for Multiverse of Madness, and you know maybe some other stories involved. There's a whole character in. Um, uh, Wakanda Forever, who is just introduced in that movie, you know, seemingly uh, um, for a future show. Are you talking about Riri Ironheart? Exactly. I was going to say, yeah. Um, and so the I'm using those in, as examples to demonstrate that the with with these mixed priorities of each project has to move the quote-unquote big story forward leaves a lot of these projects underdeveloped um 
you know, the, the, the story that, you know, that movie by itself ends up not being very good because a third of the script was devoted to some bigger thing that doesn't matter to this movie. Um, where in the yeah. earlier phase one, two, three, I don't know where those delineations are, but, um, you know, a, a movie like Iron Man two or, um, um, Captain America, first Avenger. Now I'm way back at the beginning, but, um, even some of the later films like, um, like the guardians of the galaxy films, those actually had more, gave more development on Thanos, but still as a very sideline side of their own story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the, like it made sense in context, right? The characters of Nebula and Gamora were connected to Thanos while all of the stories that happen on earth, you just Great saw point. Thanos in right. a tag. Um, or, you know, right. maybe some, like a little tiny breadcrumb. And yeah, so so I think rather than the question of who should the next big bad villain be, the the better question is, can we make these individual shows and movies good on their own? And then like okay. keep up the the um the goodwill of the fans so that the franchise keeps or the, the whatever. I don't think, I don't know. Franchise is even the right, no, the big enough I, word. I, for I, think it. I, I think I know you're going there and there's a two prong answer. And I'm going to pull this over. I think the other guy in the room is going to be the same as me on this one. So I'm going to ask Jill this here. Cause I'm not sure how you feel on land on this. Um, I think their goal with this one was to do what you're saying, Dennis, was that they were going to develop other characters and lead into champions or young Avengers and new Avengers and different characters with, with, uh, um, the Sam Wilson, Captain America and, uh, the new Hawkeye and different things. By the way, uh, I think you're right with, they've not gave enough character development in phase four of the individuals with the exception. I think of Kamala Khan. I think that she has been, she was the one character that they let develop in a proper way. Um, with that exception, um, okay, so if the question then I suppose is not that, that we uh, need to focus on a new big bad, uh, that we need to have characters and character development, and, and, and we assume that their next one's going to be Fantastic Four and X-Men, um, is now a good time to just cut and run, say, the ones that we were kind of introducing and we didn't do a good character development? Do you think changing off of those and going into the Fantastic Four and X-Men is going to change that are they going to now develop those characters or continue to pick a different character like doom and then now make the same mistakes is changing priorities from young avengers new avengers new characters to x-men and fantastic war is that going to solve the problem at all i would say no and i think part of that is what dennis is getting to chang is not the problem that is not the problem here the problem is that the, the problem is the storytelling and the character development. And right. I think rushing through a huge volume of projects in a way that it's really hard to keep the same level of quality up. And so for right. me, I think a better question is how can you fix that? And how can you regain the trust of the viewers? Mm -hmm. And yes. I almost feel like Kang is immaterial to that. Maybe, maybe from an optic standpoint, 
it helps to pivot to a different villain just so that you can say, hey, I'm doing something totally different. But really, that's not what we need. We don't need them to find a big, another big villain. We need them to uh, be more deliberate and spend more time with the characters that they're trying to develop now. And so um, I, think that's, I think that's part of this is that, you, yes, you can pivot to someone else. And there may be, I mean, there's other villains that I'm personally more excited about. But also, I don't, that's not just pivoting to another supervillain is not going to fix your problem. I agree. Uh, Fox, you, last night you and I talked about Dr. Doom a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think you've been asking me, like, what do you think about Dr. Doom? And, and you were like, Dr. Doom's a huge character. Um, but I didn't have the words, but I think Jill just gave me those words that I don't think it's actually Doom. My, my thing was like, oh, Doom, sure, fine. Because I do like Dr. Doom. You're right. You were like, Doom's a great character and a good thing. But I, I, I don't know if that's going to change. And these words are better now. Because I don't think Doom is the problem, and Dennis brought it, and Jill brought it now, and it is well, we have character this so development. Many times in our lives, sometimes you need a scapegoat. Right now, you you have a, a situation where the fans are not as happy with Marvel as they had been previously. They aren't as excited, and Marvel needs to do something to show whether it's in optics only that they mm. are responding to the fans' criticism. Now, I understand we're not going to talk about Ms. Marvel today, and we shouldn't. But I will say, we saw the movie, and I saw a lot of Marvel doing little things to acknowledge all the things in the media that says they're off track, that it's not as much fun as it used to be, that we're not focused on the characters the way we used to be. I will tell you that I saw a lot in the Marvels that were like kind of quasi-below-the-layer signals that indicate to me that Marvel is trying to say, we hear you. So I agree with Jill as well. Kang is not the problem. But I do believe that Marvel almost has to do something to signal to the greater audience that they hear them to, to switch over to a different villain. I will, I will conclude with this. I will give a gentleman's bet right now that we never see a movie come to the big screen called Avengers Kang Dynasty. We have seen titles change previously. I believe there will be two Avengers movies. That will be a two-parter at the end of whatever phase five. I think that's when those Avengers movies are going to come. They, they will pivot away from Kang. Not because Kang is the problem, to Jill's point, but more of an optic point of view rather than anything else. They are killing two birds with one stone with this. And so yeah. that's, yeah. My, that's my word. This 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 whole topic's great, and I and I like the discussion in general of what MC should do, um, and without discussing anything about the Marvels as a, a show or a story, even uh, I agree with what they said. Granted, those these things were years in the past when they were making this film, but mm -hmm. I I still feel those optics are relevant, and if they can can take what they've done with that from a story development or that underlying current you were talking about and continue on, and then here have this kind of discussion that all the fans kind of have and people and move forward with that, which the Marvel's kind of signals that they are listening. Um, then we'll, we'll have a good face going forward. Even if the change happens or not, uh, some people say in Feige, we trust. I don't know if that's a, that's a, a right thing to do, but he's, he's, he's done. Okay. Could have had a little bit of a misstep. This one, we all have those. Um, and we'll, we'll see how that goes uh, going in the future. So we're going to end our MCU stuff there. I have, a lot of good stuff. And, I, I, oh, go I, ahead. I do have, I do have one more thing. comment, even though it's redundant to what we've already said. Um, 
I don't think in those first 20 movies or whatever that too many people were going to the theater and buying tickets for Marvel movies because they were excited about Thanos. Agree. Right? Yeah, and, but, for sure. But I agree with Fox that, um, you know, if there's if there's something wrong, if there's if there's lost uh, good faith between the studio and the audiences, um, they, you know, uh, some kind of grand gesture is exactly the, the, some the, drastic the to, change. The way to just fix to that. say just to sh- just to pretend like oh we're going to do something. If they're not different. yeah, if they're not going to announce a new Fantastic Four or X Men thing which is what i think a lot of people have been looking for since um disney bought fox um then then a big you know we're dropping kang as the villain um is a suitable um alternative and and that's pretty easy because honestly kang hasn't been a major thing that anyone totally cares about or just terrified of in the way that's was i mean i'm certain i'm certain there are people who went and saw uh Quantumania and were confused because that movie was nonsense. But who 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 <laughs> yeah. saw Jonathan Majors show up and were like, "Who's that guy?" You know, and their yeah. hardcore yeah. their diehard fan next to him is like, "Oh, he was in Loki." And they're like, "Oh, I haven't uh, seen that one yet yeah. because the flow of show. content Oops. out of Marvel is just nonstop, uh, which is yeah excessive." Uh, as a as a um admirer of the character Kang in the comic books. Uh, I They can uh, finish this thing, and I'm fine. Because I felt Quantumania, that Kang there was basically Kang in the comic books. And we got it. We're good. That's, that's my thing. All right, so moving off, we've got two quick things, and we're going to make quick time of, on these two topics real quick because uh, we're limited on time here. Uh, we're going to do the, the movie the, uh, of the week. Uh, I don't think that won't take too long. We can just go through that real quick. A man called Otto. And the other thing we want to talk about is there's uh, just comments on the Ghostbusters trailer that came out. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, the sequel to Frozen World, New York, New Jersey. I'm not Frozen, sure what it's called. Frozen Kingdom. Sure. Good work. Uh, so, so we'll talk about those. Let's, let's uh, go into – Dennis, let's go into our movie real quick. Okay. Um, this week we are talking about A Man Called Otto. Uh, 22 last year? Yeah, yeah, tw- uh, 2022. Um, Tom Hanks and nobody super notable. I recognize Rachel Keller from uh, Legion. She was also in the TV show Fargo. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I saw this in the theater last year. Uh, one of those we all do when you go into a movie and never hear anything about it, know, know what it is, and like, I'll watch this show. Uh, didn't know anything about that. Uh, watched it in the theater, and for the first 20 minutes, I was like, I'm going to hate this show because it's the subject matter. Uh, not for me. And then 20 minutes later, after that, I'm like, well, maybe I like this. You... And and then 20 minutes later, I was crying and sad <laughs> and wanting everybody to watch this show. You didn't... Um... You you weren't into live action up. <laughs> okay, that, that was fair. Good, that's a pretty good categorization, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, all right, Joe. It's been a while since you've seen this, yes? Or... Yeah, it's been a little while. Okay, overall, how do you feel about this? Um, i i thought it was I thought it was pretty well done. I probably went into it with a little like a little more 
knowledge, but I don't know that that was necessarily a good thing. I think because this was uh, a book and then a movie based on a book, I think it was an, originally a man that called Ove. In, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, so so it, was, it was an international film first, and then it was remade like as an American film. And so I feel okay. like we've been talking about this project for like, years yeah, i didn't know that Frederick okay Jackman yeah. wrote the book in 2012 um and then it became okay. a swedish film in 2015 which was nominated for best international feature at the academy awards under the name a man called ove um and it has since been remade see that wasn't me right there i didn't know any of that like oh. before this like no that, that that's good good well, that's stuff. why i have the geek scholars on the show we do the work <laughs> it is the we scholars do the we of do the that. research we are in the trenches reading the book. <laughs> all right, movies. all right, all right, Jill. So, how, so did you like it though? I, I did. I mean, it. I think it. You know, we talk about how do we how do we judge movies, and I think a huge part of that is did it accomplish what it intended to accomplish? Yeah. And I think it's a very straightforward and classic. Uh, I don't know redemption story about you know it's about a grumpy man who sort of comes to remember how to love life and I think that's a very classic tale and I think this is uh, a slightly different take on it than I've seen before I think Tom Hanks does a good job as grumpy man I think there's a lot of nice supporting cast that make this a movie that I uh, I thought was good I don't think there's anything super memorable about it um, I would be curious if anyone else is, if anyone's seen the Swedish version of this, because I did not get to see that. And I feel like that'd be an interesting comparison. It got a lot of acclaim when it came out, probably more so than this did. Yeah, I can be quick and I'm going to yield the rest of my time to the actual hosts of this podcast. But I will say I did uh, see a man called Ove. I preferred that to this. And I think the primary reason of that is that it's a little, I think, distracting to see America's father, now grandfather, Tom Hanks, take on this role as good as he is in this particular yeah. performance. Play, you know, this grumpy old man. But I still could not escape it's Tom Hanks playing a grumpy old man, whereas I had the benefit of watching the Swedish ensemble where I had no preconceived notions of the performers playing the roles that they played. And I think it's actually the reason why A Man Called Otto, the Americanized version, does not have any other really named performers in those roles because I believe the intentionality here is to see people in what we think is a very realistic setting. Um, it's a very dark comedy, but the whole intention is you believe that this older man could be as depressed as he is, and you believe he could have these interactions with their neighbors, even if they are slightly absurd and slightly a little bit without filter. But I think we've all known people in our lives without those filters. And that's the humor of this film, is it not? It's Tom Hanks, you know, accosting all these people. How could you not know how to drive? You know, why, why are you bringing me this food? Oh, my gosh, I've never tasted this before, but it's delicious. And we all know those people. Tom Hanks has, does that very well, but there's something to be said about watching a group of people who feel you have a little less disconnect, you have a little bit more disconnection from because you've never seen them in things before. And that's what the Swedish ensemble was, so it had a lot of heart to me. What did you two think? You know, that that argument, those uh, words almost are the same thing as the same people who say the book was better. Like that, that's the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not off. You're not off base there, because, you know, I think when you read a book, you can project your own 
pictures of to what those individuals look like. And, and the ones you watched with the Swedish was people with you didn't know the actors, you didn't know the thing. Yes. You were, so I, that's that what you're saying. Helped for this particular material. That's not always true of every single adaptation, but here the whole intention is, you know, these are people you could probably imagine living down the street from you. Um, and that's what makes it a little bit more engaging. And I, maybe you can connect with further. I loved both movies, but for very different reasons. Right. Yeah. I, uh, Dennis, I, I, I really like, and I was jokey, but I appreciate you saying the up thing because, um, saying up is the best way for, to make me understand how I feel about this film. Uh, having not seen those things or, or read the book before uh, or the movie things. Uh, this was uh, the way I do feel about this movie is Ed Asner. who is somebody I like and who is the voice actor for the, the dad from, uh, or the grandpa from up uh, lovable, but I know the, 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 the voice, I know the thing I feel comfy and warm. And then this is the mean person. And this one though, Dennis, it starts with suicide. That's, and super does, heavy as does, right as does the book as does man called ove like they're that's that's very much the at the core of it like it's fine, just rediscovering your life when you think it's over that, that's so heavy did what all right so when this came out dennis i said i saw a man i told you on the show i said uh, i saw a man called auto and it deals with suicide and i said that word and i was like but that's going to make everybody listening to this not going to watch that show because i said the s word uh now you i made you watch it dennis and it, yes. it said, and it said suicide. Uh, was it okay that you watched a movie about suicide? Uh, yeah, I don't. I'm not particularly uh, affected by that topic, fortunately. Um, oh, I, no, it's it's like dark and it is, like, and I it pushes people away from watching the, shows. I don't want to watch the thing. About there that. was there was enough of a gap between you watching this movie and talking about it on the podcast and us watching it that I'd forgotten that, and then it's telegraphed. Okay, it's telegraphed pretty clearly early on and then it keeps coming back up. So it's this, this suspense of like, you know, is he actually going to do it? How much runtime is left in the movie? Like, are we, you know, <laughs> is, are we going to see four? I mean, we bought Tom Hanks. He with, can't kill with, himself. With, the first 10 minutes. Right. Exactly. Exactly. There's a little bit Producers of that. Producers are like, no, rewrite sort the of, script. Sort uh, of film, right, film right. watching experience. I did have what sounds like a similar, uh, uh, struggle to what Fox had watching this version of it because I kept thinking of both Up and um, um, Gran Torino with um, Clint Eastwood. Oh, callback. Uh, that's a, that's right. an underrated film about. Uh, so, for those who have never seen the film, it's about an older gentleman who is in a neighborhood that becomes, let's say, yeah, gentrified and him struggling to figure out his place in that given his involvement in the Korean War yeah. um, and yeah. him ha owning a car that is the prized possession of several neighbors. Yeah, yeah. Um, diversified maybe is a, is a better word for the, for the neighborhood. But in terms of performances, I, I found it much more plausible for Clint Eastwood to be a grumpy old neighbor who... Um, yes. hates the giant remote his kids got him for his birthday uh, and, yeah. and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> it's weird that that's a detail I remember from that movie. No, um, it's a good detail. Where, where this movie almost felt like Tom Hanks starting as a character and then gradually evolving back into Tom Hanks. Back into <laughs> Tom Hanks, yeah. <laughs> a, a, a little <laughs> like bit. That. Like, 
like becoming he's, Tom. It's Hanks. right though. That's right. He, he's he's not you know full like you know uh, you know he doesn't have full Tom Hanks energy by the end, but um, close to it. It, no, it is not, the kind. You're not wrong. The kind of like it. It's still. It is still emotionally moving when he, um, you know, gets past those, those, um, I don't know, walls that he has up around his heart and, you know, actually starts to connect with these other people in his life. But, and, you know, of course, Tom Hanks is, is excellent, uh, you know, an excellent actor, um, and plays it very well, but it is it does feel like a little bit of a miscast. Well, the I for my part, uh, and and I, I think I was I said this earlier, so I don't have I don't want to repeat myself on the show. Is that I I enjoyed this film, um, and and, and I'm not going to go too much far beyond that. When, the only thing I do want to say uh, beyond that I liked it, um, I appreciate Dennis again the up reference because <laughs> uh, I I can put that into words now and say. Uh, I'm positive about it because it does feel like the grandpa thing. And it is good that it was Tom Hanks for me because I got uh, grandpa back type thing. Um, sure. But I liked um, the other characters. We're, we talked a lot about on this thing about Tom Hanks, but I liked the characters and the actors that played them in here. The, the lady across the street was uh, the, inseparable in a good way. Like she's always there mm-hmm. or what's the word? Tenacious. She always coming back and always things. Sure. That, and it was great. And, and because of that, uh, the husband and all of those things and the neighbors um, the, the the guy that that was uh, had had like a stroke and things before, all of those characters we didn't talk about today, and we should have because they're great. They were they were good, and we, this movie had Tom Hanks in it. Makes you want to watch that other one, that other film you're talking about, Fox, but with all these actors and maybe a different Tom Hanks, because those actors were yeah, great. Yeah, you know, they were so good. I was just thinking as you were talking. You know, one of the things I feel like doesn't work about this movie is maybe this weird juxtaposition between a super a super sad and dark and uh timely topic as we hear about the rise of suicide in the news and like the mental health crisis in our adolescent population all of these things going on and having that along in a movie that's Kind of at the end, lighthearted, mm-hmm. and I. Oh, it's that's not fair. that they're not taking. I, I think that other properties that have addressed suicide have been criticized for, um, for romanticizing it, and I don't think that they're doing that at all. But also, you're juxtaposing two topics that are so diametrically different that it doesn't quite gel right. And That's fair, I think sure. that may be a little bit what we're skirting around with this Tom Hanks issue. And I don't think it's just him. I think it's this sort of rosy, like the rosy side of the movie, along with this super dark side of the movie and the two sides not feeling like they're very cohesive. Are you saying they're Disney-fying suicide? Is there kind of a little bit? Um, I mean, I don't know that I would put it quite that way, but I... But something along those lines, like trying to make a, like a lighter family movie with this really heavy topic in it, kind of doesn't work just because of that. It almost you know? diminishes, it diminishes the the hard part and and doesn't give enough gravity to the comedy. Right, yeah. they're not intentionally making light of anything. 
but yeah, also right. it's just such a weird dichotomy that I think that that kind of, to be honest, I don't know that that piece of it really works. I mean, the movie yeah, is sure, still, sure. I think the movie is still okay despite that, but it's really like a despite that kind of thing for me. Yeah, it's it's it was hard for me to recommend it. And as we exit this topic, um, when we end this thing, we say, uh, do we recommend it or not? I, I, I would recommend it, but it's, it's a weird recommend because of what you just said is that, uh, who do you recommend it to? Um, you, you've got this weird, dark, dark, I'm saying again, topic, but then they, it ends with this lightheartedness of it. So I don't even know who, who did, who, maybe, uh, specific people I would recommend it to, but I, I do like it. And I'm one of those people that like that, this film, um, but I don't know who I recommend it to. Dennis, would you show this to your family? I don't know. Um, yeah, right there. That's the, that's the I, I don't know. Right? There, there are elements of it that I think they would enjoy, they would appreciate, and um, some that I think they would not. Um, and because I am so uh, neurotic about things I recommend to people, I would probably not. If I may, I'll tell you who I'd recommend this to. People who love Tom Hanks. Because I think there's a way uh, to watch sure. this movie to isolate the Tom Hanks performance and say, I really enjoyed seeing Tom Hanks play a grumpy person because it is a little bit antithetical to what he usually does, yet he's still excellent at it. So people who can isolate the suicide and the dark nature of the film but enjoy the actual performance that Tom Hanks puts in, which is very deep and very complex. And what we've gotten to know about Tom Hanks throughout the years, I think those people will say, ah, it's really fun to watch Tom Hanks, you know, beat up a clown or befriend a kid <laughs> or give someone driving lessons. Those people who have grown up everything from Joe versus the volcano through Forrest Gump, through Apollo 13, who just fell in love with Tom Hanks, will latch on to him and enjoy it. Or, but, but be warned, or, your favorite Tom Hanks character, the first minute, is going to set up plastic around a room and put a but noose I over the top of people it. Will, I, but people will know that he's not... Like That's the thing. Like People who are Tom Hanks diehards understand that that's just a... Like, it's sort of like watching Iron Man in peril in the first couple minutes of an event okay, and that's, but that's exactly the problem with this movie i agree is that I'm you can't very, take yes, it seriously you because you don't like the okay the stakes aren't there i mm. i'm not disagreeing with you i'm not i'm not saying it's not a problem you asked me who i would who would recommend it to i'm telling you tom hanks fans. okay okay we do need to move on but i want to i want to respond to that at least one little thing I, i'm gonna get the last word because i can on this one is that <laughs> i did i wasn't that I mean, and i'm gonna give you the host, reason why so. i went and watched this and i I thought this in that first 20 minutes when they were really setting up this, the, the S word thing was going to happen here. I thought this was going to be one of those films that he ends up at the end does die. And it's one of those, he kills himself. And then it's the rest of the film is flashbacks and his life. And they take the time to do that thing. And then it ends so up where you understand. I understand. That. Wait, I didn't watch any of this. That's remember? And, and I thought that he at the end, he, he was going to end up pretty blind. Yes. That, that he, that, would... uh, oh, go ahead. he was going to end up with, but no, I just thought that he was going to, it was going to be one of those that a tragedy, this film mm. was a tra going to end up being a tragedy that he dies. And then you're sad, but you understand why he came to this thing. That's what I thought the film was going to be like. So when it didn't end up that, it made me happy that it was the grandpa uh, thing that happened in the up thing. So 
that's where I thought it was, and I was scared the whole time that they were going to take the rug out from me, but they didn't. Uh, I know you had more to say, Dennis, but we, we're really strapped for time here. I, I uh, just, I thing, just wanted to ask Fox if he thinks this movie would serve as a, an adequate palate cleanser for the Elvis movie. For Tom I've not Hanks. seen that. I've not seen that film. Oh my god! Oh, he's the colonel, right? In that? Um, I didn't remember Tom Hanks being in the Elvis movie <laughs> at all. I don't think I remember uh, Austin Butler did an exceptional job as Elvis. <laughs> I, I, was, I re- was Tom Hanks in that movie? Yeah, I remember. Right, right. I remember you having was he just an executive producer. Strong words about uh, Tom Hanks's uh, portrayal performance in that in that movie. So I just wanted to. The only that. thing I can remember about Tom Hanks being in that movie is that I believe somebody showed up to an Oscars party dressed up as Elvis and Tom Hanks, and I have a picture <laughs> of that. Which, if you all have an Instagram thing, maybe it could be posted on there <laughs> all right all right you guys all right so what, our last subject here and we're going to do rapid fire on this one we're going to sure. do uh, ghostbusters the frozen new jersey uh, what was it called fox frozen actually? new jersey oh my god i think it starts with that right my first 10 seconds of that oh, it, it says new jersey at the beginning like where they're at and i'm and, and my what i was going to say was like fox uh, no ghostbusters counts unless it's in new york and then they do pivot over to, to, to there uh wait okay so I'm, I'm triggering him, guys. I, can I mean, see after, him the Afterlife room. was entirely in like Oklahoma or something, right? Yeah, it was right. Like Spangler. Farm. Right. I was. That's why that was going to do shots fired and say that no Ghostbusters counts unless it's in New York, which would have disqualified Afterlife. Um, but all right. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a rapid fire thing. And the last thing here, we're, we're going to uh, make Fox wait until the very end. Uh, I'm going to give my opinion. Dennis, go next. We're going to do Jill and then Fox, and then we'll end the show. No, all I'm right. happy to judge all of your opinions. Yes, that's why I'm giving you last word on this one, Fox. Um, so if those don't, who don't know, uh, Geek Scholar Fox is a humongous Ghostbusters fan. Uh, I have the pleasure of staying in the coolest Ghostbuster room that's been all around uh, this night. And it's uh, I'm doing the Italian hand right here now. It's, it's so great. Um, so I say that and that I can't stand Finn Wolfhard with any ounce of me and i wish he wasn't in afterlife and i wish he wasn't in this next movie so that i could love it so much more um i don't like his character i don't like his acting and every time he's on the scene it brings it down to me uh so uh and he's in it a lot in afterlife um so i like everything about afterlife except him and it just ruins the film and then when i see him in the trailer for this one i think oh they're they're ruining this because i like the girl i can't think of her name the the little sister yeah i, I like her um, and Grace McKenna. Grace McKenna. All right, I like her in this. I like uh, podcast. The little kid, cute, little little, little fun. Oh, sure, but I liked his character. Um, I like uh, Ant Man and Fox. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> correct me on these things. Uh, Ant Man and I and I loved um, uh, the the whole story of it. I like the characters. I, in this new trailer, it shows uh, all the original Ghostbusters coming back. I'm not sure I feel about that because I really liked their limited thing at the end of this one. It's emotional. It felt good. It was impactful of afterlife. Uh, now they seem to be a major part of the new movie. Um, I, I can't even look so at Fox. Happy. I can't I even look so at Fox over here. <laughs> he loves them so much. It, it's like the Star Wars thing when like, I, I get to see uh, you know my original actors come back and play the thing I really wanted to, to do. My fear is that we have a Star Wars type thing where they, they take great characters and they put them too much in a show and they overuse them 
and they shouldn't play their characters again. So I'm I'm worried that this next this trailer is showing these, you know, Spangler and or not Spangler. Um, oh, uh, I'm so Spanish. happy! I cannot they, Ray, wait Ray. to answer all you your just concerns. Keep talking over I there. know all the things <laughs> you, and I know the answer. Ray and 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 all of the all of the, the our favorite characters uh, come back for this next movie. I don't I don't know. I'm nervous. Is the thing because Ghostbusters is so good and I love it so much. The original, the first film, Afterlife was a, a good one considering all the things they've come through since then, uh, except for Finn Wolfhard. And uh, I felt, I wish they would have just been fine with that, with Afterlife. And I know Fox, he's giving me a smirk because he, he loves more more Ghostbusters, but I'm worried. And this one was a good trailer. It's got some good graphics. It showed all the highlights of the characters sure didn't give us really any story to be honest so it just was a hype a hype film and i'm that the hype film made me nervous for ghostbusters because i like it so much the first thing um but i don't know if i want more or need more it almost felt do i need more ghostbusters all right jill you're no wait dennis is next dennis tell me all the things i'm wrong about you're trying your best to give everyone an aneurysm um during that trailer i wondered when Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to show up. What? Do you qualify that, that reference? He's doing. <laughs> he's doing the Mister Freeze, Batman, and Robin. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. The freeze. I, I can always. I can always count on Fox to get my uh, quote unquote obscure. <laughs> I'm here for you, brother. I'm uh, here for you. Uh, movie references. Um, I maybe am in a little bit of the same camp as Michael is here. Um, I enjoyed Afterlife. Um, it felt. A little bit like maybe what, and I I absolutely do not want to go down the Star Wars rabbit hole here, but a little bit like yeah, what don't. they were trying to do with Rise of Skywalker, except better, um, where it was a combination of um, fan service for the true old original fans and, and a little bit of trying to erase the quote-unquote sins of... of uh, that third one. Oh, episode eight. Um, no, uh, in Ghostbusters, um, which oh, I did, yeah, uh, which I did not see, yeah. so I I I don't really have any opinions on that, except right. that the the biggest Ghostbusters fan I know disliked it, and that's enough for me to not uh, <laughs> uh, waste two like... hours of my life. Um, me, and it it suffered, I think, from again, as I said with the MCU sort of um mixed goals uh, mixed priorities of here's a new story with new characters i share michael's opinions on finn wolfhard yeah. kind of put off him with his characterization his writing and and performance in uh later seasons of stranger things um and that didn't do me any favors trying to watch him in ghostbusters afterlife um and then you have this sort of like there's one story about these new characters and they're discovering the haunted house. And, and then there's a second story of nostalgia, bring back the old actors for the big finish kind of thing. And so the, the new story they're telling doesn't get quite enough space to breathe. Um, and how does this trailer make you feel a, about that? That's a minor, a minor complaint. It is a little surprising to me that, this movie exists afterlife did feel like kind of a send off, but 
as I'm yes. saying that, bringing in all these new young characters also had the potential for um, sort of uh, not quite rebooting, but sequels, like sequels, like sequels. revitalizing the movie in, or, or the the franchise into a thing. Um, I think, you know, hot take Ghostbusters is maybe one of those franchises that would have been fine with just one movie not made into a franchise. Um, I don't think any of them, any of the subsequent films have touched the magic of the original movie. And I'm not a lifelong uh, in lover of the franchise. Like um, I think the rest like of you who? all are because I didn't, <laughs> I was, I was not allowed to watch it um, and didn't see it until I was an adult. And it's like, this is fine. It's very eighties. It's, you know, a lot of you've got, um, you know, excellent actors and uh and um oh i'm completely blanking on his name um which one the one who passed away who made groundhog oh, day uh, so how ramus was the original Harold Ramis, writer yeah. um, you know fa- fantastic uh uh you know writer and filmmaker um and so I don't know. It's the, the, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> the more opinions are, or more thoughts are coming to me as I'm, as I'm describing it. It, it seems like if they were going to do another movie, it should have been new, like new with more character. Not that I want to see Finn Wolfhard in a whole movie, but the trailer shows us the original actors again. And so it does seem like there might be, um, some conflicting priorities there i don't know that's off the top of my head we're inch we're inching to, to, to the to the to the super fan here jill you're one step removed from fox <laughs> how, how do you how do you feel about the, the this i guess that what we're saying here is that this trailer is setting up what might what we think might be the, the future of the franchise or what's coming up next this thing how, how does this trailer make you you know um you're right i don't have the the quite the same uh quite the same love of this franchise as fox does i i i like it a lot certainly and i did think that it's ghostbusters i did think just generally this trailer was delightful um i think there was some things that i'm not as excited about um i would say on the positive side, just the nuts and bolts of it gave me exactly what I wanted. A taste for the villain, a a taste for the tone of the movie, Mm. a taste for who was going to be in it. I thought generally it's a very good trailer. Um, It had way more of a YA vibe than I was looking for with a Ghostbusters movie. Um, And so I don't have any particular complaints about Finn personally, as you all do. (laughs) But but also... having Ghostbusters who are in their teens gives us a really different dynamic than the other, than the original movie, which is, I would say a lot more mature. Um, And so I think I'm not quite sure I like that direction um, for the franchise, but otherwise I think having a big snow villain looks like a super fun time. And I love that it's set in New York city and they gave me just as, you know, just as much as I wanted to know about the story, and I'm excited to see it. So I think they accomplished what they wanted to. Who's who's the fourth new Ghostbuster? Uh, it, it, we got we got uh, the brother sister. We and uh, 
keeps saying Ant Man. What's the Paul Rudd? Paul Rudd. And, Paul, Paul Rudd. And who's Harry the fourth? Coon. Don't forget that? Pat. Is that the new guy? Tally Coon. Okay. All right. Cool. All right, Fox. We're up at you. Okay. New trailer. He's <laughs> like, finally, my. It's my fault for putting you last. No, it's right? fine. Yeah, no. Um, he is the build-up to the that. magic you got in the first Ghost. I agree. Afterlife is very much an emotional movie set about understanding your family's legacy and what are you born into and things like that. I think this film will be more fun and more rewatchable than Afterlife because what I believe Ghostbusters is doing is establishing a franchise. And I'm going to steal something that Jill said to me offline, akin to Goosebumps. They are trying to build a franchise that is a mix between comedy and horror, which is a gap in our current modern filmography, which is why the original Ghostbusters was so successful. People loved it because they were a little bit scared and they laughed a lot. I think that Afterlife tried to set up the universe that we're going to get in this new film. I've seen this trailer six times. I'm not kidding you. And what I know is that Finn Wolfhart is in one shot, or I'm sorry, two shots of this entire trailer. Who was featured in this trailer are more of the adults. I see Paul Rudd. Yeah. I see Callie Coon. Yeah. I see Patton Oswalt. I see Bill Murray. I see, um, you know, all the rest of the older Ghostbusters. What I think you're going to get is a passing of the torch, but I think you're going to get something in this film much more akin to Ghostbusters 2. And I'm saying that on purpose because I don't think we're going to reach the level of Ghostbusters 1. But I think you're going to start seeing like every three years a Ghostbusters of the like we used to have these shows where it was like Villain of the Week. I am okay with a Ghostbusters film every three years of Villain of the Year. And I'm okay Okay. with that. Oh, you said that in our our, our group chat. Yeah, you said like I like to see this. This just looks like single. a small film. Like it looks like okay, you know, right. a, a, a ghost haunts New York. It's not the end of the world. It's not like it's a big stakes kind of thing. But the Ghostbusters have to figure out how to defeat this villain. That is a fabulous way to take this franchise. Because it doesn't mean you have to imbue a whole lot of money in it. You don't have to get a whole lot of um, high name actors. And you incorporate teenagers and adults to try to i don't know stratify who comes to see this film i thought this trailer was absolutely brilliant because it's more quadrants yeah it's very low stakes like this movie was probably made for 60 million dollars and it's going to make 300 million because it's going to be funny it's going to be a little bit scary and if they do it right this franchise has total new life in it where you're like oh did you see like I hate to equate it to this, like Saw. There are 12 Saw movies. and people So come, many. People come see them because like, it makes them a little bit scared, and you're kind of to see what the new paradigm is. If Ghostbusters can find a way to be the comedy horror franchise of the future, it is in perfect shape, and I think this trailer absolutely sets that up. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you, because I admire your, your uh, uh, love of this, yes. uh, a little overtime. Okay. All right. The, you're the only one going to get it, not the rest of us. All right. Um, Dennis said uh, Ghostbusters 1 may have been an example could have ended this thing and not made it a franchise. 
that is instead of multiple franchises. They should have ended it at one, right? That's been said multiple times when they try to sure. profit off of the thing. Um, your response to this trailer has been almost the opposite of that. Like there's expansive things. I have said that about Star Wars. Uh, I point to Rogue One and I point to a lot of the other things that, that you could have stories set in a universe that aren't based on the main thing or even with the main thing. There's more stories to tell set in this universe. Uh, the question I have that I'm giving you the overtime is, uh, is, Ghost, is Ghostbusters better as a just a standalone Ghostbusters 1 and let it be that? Yes. It is. Even though yes. you, just, you just said this, is setting up the franchise. Yes. They're going to go no, further. No, and that's, that's, that, that hopefully gives me credibility as a Ghostbusters fan. I don't think there should have ever been a Ghostbusters 2. As a little kid, I could not wait for Ghostbusters 2 to watch that. I will give you a quick anecdote that the Ghostbusters cast appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show. I had never seen the Oprah Winfrey show in my life. I can remember begging my mom to stay home sick from school. So I could watch the Oprah Winfrey show when they were promoting Ghostbusters 2. I'm a fanatic. I've seen everything yeah, yeah, for sure. ever, ever since. And I would agree with you. The Ghostbusters could have been a one-movie franchise and called it a day, and it probably would still have the legacy it has today. In the same way we think of Back to the Future or Raiders of the Lost Ark. That yeah. said, I am okay with the... Sony Pictures trying to want to expand the franchise given the magic and given how much money they've made from it. So if they're going to do that, if I know they have to do that, this is the best way to do it, as far as I'm concerned. All right, that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, and we'll see. Uh, actually, this if this second one come when this second one comes out in in the new franchise, we'll 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 see how the franchise is going to go. Mark my words. I bet people enjoy this new one more than they did the first one the real question is is will they come to see it because this this other one did seem like a i think movie. yes i think i think if they put it out at the right time and they keep it as a small story i think afterlife gave them enough capital because i think it had a lot of heart to it um and i actually think that people listen to you and will not focus on Finn Wolfhard as a part of the story. I think it's going to be much more of an ensemble piece, and they will not focus on one character. And that's what's going to make it successful. That's pretty cool. It works out. All right, Dennis. I think we. I think we did it good. We did a. We did a lot tonight. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, before we wrap up the show, Fox, would you like to uh, plug and promote your um, writing work? I would be happy to. I am a member of the Washington, D.C. Film Critics Association. I believe I'm obligated to say that I work for an online publication called LRM Online. There you can find all of my reviews, uh, tabletop games and movies. I encourage you to come over and check it out. I am also a close, dear, personal fan of this show. Please, please subscribe to The Front Porch. It is your best source for honest unadulterated just warm conversations of everything happening in your geek community so that is what i want to plug the most come subscribe to this podcast it's very very sweet all right you have been listening to the front porch this is episode 323 thanks so much to fox and jill for being on with us tonight um as Fox mentioned, you can see all of his reviews on and things 
reviews on things on LRM Online. If you want to reach out to us and tell us everything I am wrong about the Ghostbusters franchise, you could do that via email. Our address is frontporchpod at gmail.com. And if you go to our website, frontporchpodcast.com, you can find show notes and contact forms to reach out to us. Uh, as Fox mentioned, if you enjoy the show, please consider subscribing on the podcast of your choice. And while you're there, if you leave us one of those five-star reviews, we appreciate that so much. As always, thanks so much for joining us. And for all of us, for me, for Michael, for Fox, for Joe, we'll see you next time.